Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. I am Sarah Langs, pinch hitting for Buster Olney today on the podcast. So grateful to him for this opportunity. It was a wonderful night in baseball on Tuesday, as it always is. We're going to talk to Mandy Bell. Juan Toribio and Jess Mendoza to recap a lot of news over the last few days. Also talk a little bit about the Little League World Series, which begins today on ESPN. So let's get to it. The Yankees lost 4 nothing on Monday to the Rays at Yankee Stadium. And in the first inning on Tuesday, Randy Rosarena stepped up to the plate. The runners lead at first and second of the pitch. Swing and a fly ball down the left field line. Back and it goes Benintendi to the wall, and it is gone! Randy Arozarena with another first inning three-run home run. And the Rays take a 3-0 lead here in the Bronx early. The Rays would go on to win 3-1, and after the game, Aaron Hicks talked about another difficult night for the Yankees offense and what it's like when the crowd is against you a little bit. When the crowd gets on you like they have been, does that make it any harder to bounce back? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm out there trying to compete, um, you know, and help this team win. And obviously it's not, you know, nice to hear booze but you know when you're having a season the way that I am you know that's kind of the way it goes especially around here um, and you know, you know they want results. The Braves beat the Mets 13-1 to on Monday and on Tuesday Matt Olson stepped up to the plate to pile on further. Matt Olson popped out to the pitcher Taiwan Walker 10 the first. Swing drive! Majestic homer! How far? How high? On top of the chop house! I don't think we've ever seen that here. Have we? Not over it. We've seen it going to the top deck. Yep. This one landed over the LED scoreboard lights on top of the roof and bounced back. Oh my. Oh my indeed. A monstrous homer from Olsen. The Braves will go on to win 5-0. Reese Hoskins had six hard-hit batted balls on Tuesday against the Reds. Only five other players have done that since 2015. Here's one of them. Hoskins has had two good at-bats tonight. He swings at that one. That one is hit well. Deep to right field, and that ball is gone! A three-run home run for Reese Hoskins. Number 25 on the season. And the Phils grab back the lead just like that. The Phillies would go on to win 11-4. Now on Monday, the White Sox beat the Astros thanks to a clutch hit from Yohan Moncada. Here we go. Bases full. Two outs. Swing and a base hit. Into center. Angle scores. Abreu is in. It's 4-2. On Tuesday, Moncada came up in yet another clutch spot, and here's what happened. Here's the pitch. Swing and a bloop in the center for a base hit. 
Ingles scores. Moncada gets it done again, and it's 4-3. Four 4-2 to three. Four to two on Monday, 4-3 to three on Tuesday. Both thanks to Juan Moncada go-ahead singles in the eighth inning. The Cardinals won on Tuesday night in a unique way. The windup, the pitch. O'Neal is hit by the pitch. A Redbird winner. A Redbird winner. The Cardinals win with just one hit in the ninth inning. Lamette walked two, gave up a bunch single, hit O'Neal, and the Cardinals win this one 5-4 as O'Neal gets the game-winning RBI being hit by a pitch. The second walk-off hit by pitch in the majors this season. On Tuesday night, the Mariners were in a close game against the Angels until the ninth inning when they scored five runs. The stretch and the 3-2 runner goes, swinging a drive deep into right field. Taylor Ward going back, looking up, and this one is off the top wall, and it's a home run. The top wall is a home run over the yellow stripe. Julio Rodriguez with an opposite field. Two-run home run is 19th home run of the season, and the Mariners are pouring it on here in the ninth inning. Five runs are in here in the ninth a three-hit game for Rodriguez in a game that he entered on a long over streak. And in one of the more exciting finishes of the night, the Giants were trailing one nothing against the Diamondbacks in the ninth until Brandon Crawford came to the plate. The pitch. Swing, and he hits a high drive to center field. Going way back there, still going back. Thomas at the wall, he leaps. This game is over for the second time in three days. The Giants hit a two-run homer in the last of the ninth inning, and they have won it again. The oldest Giant with a walk-off homer since Moises Alou in 2006. That's Brandon Crawford at 35 years old. The Brewers and the Dodgers played a close one in extras on Tuesday night. And the 1-1 pitch. McCutcheon hits a fly ball center field on the run as Taylor. He dives and he makes an unbelievable catch. Oh, what a play by Chris Taylor. Absolutely remarkable. A diving catch toward the warning track and he saves the game. Chris Taylor, absolutely sensational. That four-star catch seemed like it might be a turning point in the game until... 2-2. Hit in the air, right center field, coming on his bets. It's going to drop in front of him. McCutcheon will score. Around third is Renfro. Here's the throw. The Brewers walk off the Dodgers at 11. Now, there's been some news around the Dodgers lately. Here's Dave Roberts on Monday talking about what the timetable might be on a return for Walker Bueller, who's set for season-ending elbow surgery. I don't know that diagnosis. Um, I really don't. All I know is that um, obviously he had the uh, the scope to kind of uh, clean up some bone spurs. Um, and then as he went through his progression, it was uh, the pain wouldn't subside. And so they went back in and, you know, whatever Dr. Elitra saw felt, um, that the best 
course of action was to go back in to get surgery to really figure out what the problem is, fix it, and um, so as a result, he's done for obviously he's done for 2022. And until the surgery happens, we have no idea his uh, time of return. And here's Roberts on the level of concern surrounding the detail of that injury. It is vague. It, it is vague. Um, I, I just I just don't know how else to take it. Um, I don't want to get ahead of what it possibly might or might not be. But yeah, I, I think that's fair because if we had clarity on what it was before going in, then you have a timeline. Um, but right now we don't. So I don't want to say it's more concerning, but yeah, I think like all of us, we would love to have complete clarity right now. Taylor, what are you promoting today? Sarah, I'm promoting a podcast called Soup with Coop. Can you try and say that for me? (laughs) I cannot. (laughs) I'm going to burst out laughing. We're just going to leave it there. Okay. Well, let me give you the premise. Well, first of all, it's a uh, ESPN podcast in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions. It's Cooper Manning. He's inviting players and coaches from across sports to share stories and laughs while enjoying a bowl of his guests' favorite soup. When the soup is finished, the conversation ends. That's Soup with Coop. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also, The Captain, uh, all seven episodes of the is streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, great little uh, docu-series about Derek Jeter. Obviously, Jeet's the captain, all that jazz. So check them all out, ESPN+. Plus. Sarah, what's your favorite kind of soup? Oh, my gosh. Butternut squash soup. I love butternut squash soup to the point where if it's on the menu, I have to get it. <laughs> I love that. It's almost butternut squash soup season. So that's this yes. is all very exciting. All right, Soup with Coop, the captain. Check them both out. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash buster. Just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. 
So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. I'm now joined by my co-podcast host and uh, one of my absolute best friends in the world, Mandy Bell, who covers the Guardians for MLB.com. Mandy, how are you doing? Hi, friend. I'm great. How are you? I'm great because I'm talking to you on a podcast, which always makes me very happy. Oh, too soon. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you in part because the Guardians are now leading the division They have sort of come out of nowhere, I think, compared to preseason expectations. And this team is currently in a playoff spot. So what have you seen from them that has really changed the narrative over these last few weeks? For the entire season, they've had this, like, never-say-die attitude. And so I think just because of that, they've been able to will themselves into this type of a position because it could be the ninth inning and they're down by four runs. And I don't know if it's just because most of those guys haven't even been there for more than a couple of weeks and they just don't know better. Um, But it's just, they've had this attitude of like, okay, who cares? We still have three more outs to go so we can still come back. And so that's really been the biggest thing for them all season. Now the past few weeks, I think largely has been because their starting pitching has started to get a little bit better. Um, they've been so used to relying on that the last few years, if we've as we've known. But this year is just it was rough, a rough start for their their rotation. And so when they're not getting those quality starts from those guys, it was a lot more difficult for them to win consistently. Now, Zach Pleasak has still struggled a little bit, but the rest of the rotation really seems to be settling in. And because of that, it's made it a lot easier on the offense to not have to always grind out the ninth inning victories anymore. So I think that's been the biggest key for them to being able to go on a little bit of a run here. So you kind of made reference to this, the idea that some of these guys haven't been up for very long. Mm -hmm. So this is the youngest team in baseball. They've had, what, 14, 15 debuts now? How many are we up to? And how is this team? I mean, I feel like this is one of those questions where when you ask the players, you ask the manager, hey, how are you doing this as the youngest team? The answer is, we're just playing baseball. But from your seat up in the press box and talking to these guys, how has that helped them, hurt them? Is it not a factor at all? Because I know when I watch this team, it stands out how young they are. I feel like you're aware of it when you watch them. I think that it's definitely hurt them at times. It's been something that everyone expected to be a huge hurdle. I just don't think it was as big of a hurdle as everyone expected it to be. Um, that's the inexperience has shown sometimes with their outfielders throwing to the wrong guy, missing the cutoff. Um, you can just see at times, especially with their starting pitching, when they've had some spot starts of having guys come up. I mean, as recently as this week on Monday, throwing guys into the fire a little bit and just saying, all right, here's your debut day. We need to win this game. Those types of deals, a little rough. So they've had a couple of hiccups, whatever it comes to that. But what's insane is it's just been 
kind of like I said before of like the fact that they just don't really know any better has really benefited them because they they never quit. Uh, Tito always jokes that, I mean, at the beginning of the year, we were asking him if this was hard on him to always live through these one run games or these late win games. And he was like, it's given me a reason to get out of bed every day. Um, and so it's the youthful outlook of just like, all right, let's just go play. We can win no matter how many outs we have left. That's really, really helped them. And it's certainly not hurt them that this young group has a ridiculous maturity about it. The poise I mean, Stephen Kwan could not look further from a rookie. Um, the, the guys that they have right now just seems like they somehow have turned into seasoned veterans within just a few months of their big league career. And with Quan, you know, you and I talked about early in the year, and it has really persisted all season, the plate discipline with this team. Stephen Quan, Miles Straw, Jose Ramirez, you go up and down the batting order. These guys don't swing and miss. They've even fixed the plate discipline of a guy like Ahmed Rosario, who was previously really kind of wild swinger at the plate. And it's really interesting to see an overall sort of uh, franchise-wide or however you want to say it, organizational push. So I feel like something like that has almost upped their maturity very quickly just to be able to have that kind of approach at the plate. It seems like a lot of the young guys who are coming up have that approach. It seems like it's from top to bottom, something that they're starting to instill um, in their players. And it's weird because it's not something that the baseball world is used to seeing right now because it's all um, big hacks, home runs, and strikeouts. Uh, And this is like a wake-up call of, oh my goodness, this is old-school baseball coming back. Um, where it's let's just not strike out. Let's try to just get the ball in play and force the defense to make a play. If they're going to get us out, they're going to have to earn it. And so that's it's been really effective for them this year. And I do want to talk about Tito. I think that I know that if the Mariners make the playoffs, manager of the year will probably go to Scott Service. Very well deserved. But this feels like a year where, you know, quantifying a manager's impact is really, really difficult. We talk about this every year, especially when people are voting on manager of the year. It's hard to tell. And you tend to win the award for outperforming expectations. So that's why I would imagine Tito would finish second. I would imagine he'll get some first place votes, but. How much has his influence really steadied this franchise? Because it's amazing you think about an incredible baseball life where he has been. I feel like this team, he was made to manage a team like this and keep these youngsters in check and competing into October. Yeah, I truly believe that if many other people were in this exact position, this team would not have the record that it has. Um, it's difficult. This is a challenge that not a lot of people on the outside understand how truly difficult it is to not have really many veterans at all 
be able to lead this club and you have to try to get everyone to buy into the same message, buy in randomly throughout the year as they're called up because they're all infants, it seems like. Um, and so you have you have this idea of like, okay, let's get the chemistry right in the clubhouse. Let's get everyone to buy into the same approach and let's try to figure out how to overcome the inexperience that we have and allow these guys to play at the best level that they can play. Um, it's been really impressive to see how this has panned out this year, just because, I mean, you look at the the roster and it, it doesn't seem like they should be in first place. I mean, everyone expected that going into the year. Um, we were all expecting it to be a rebuilding season. A lot of projections had them towards the bottom of the AL Central. And somehow here we are in mid-August um, and they're in first place. And so I think a, a huge, enormous chunk of that goes to Tito because you look, okay, Brian Shaw can help. Uh, out in the bullpen with his presence. You have Jose Ramirez and Ahmed Rosario, but they're still like 20 some years old. Like it doesn't really, it's not like you have like the really veteran presence. So to be lacking that completely is, uh, is a challenge. And so he sort of has to fill in that role and it's been really impressive to see him do that. And looking around the divisions, you made reference a little bit to postseason odds. Entering the year, Cleveland had a 15% chance to make the playoffs. The Twins were at 40%, and the White Sox were at 72%. So, obviously, the White Sox have, until recently, been pretty much of a disappointment in comparison to what people expected. I think most people expected they would run away with this division. They dealt with an inordinate amount of injuries in April, and that really put them kind of behind the eight ball. And they weren't playing great. You know, it's not just an injury excuse or something like that. So we had the twins really jump out. They was them. There was no question except for the fact that nobody really expected them to win that division. Now we have the Guardians. So as of right now, the playoff odds, according to Fangraphs, stand with the White Sox at 54%, Guardians at 49 and the Twins at 45 So the White Sox have certainly played better lately. They've won two late-inning games on Yuan Mankata singles. Uh, In the eighth inning in the last two days, they won that big matchup with Justin Verlander. What is your view of the division? How do you see this all shaking out? Uh, It's a mess, uh, for lack of a better word. It's it's been it's been strange this year. Um, I know there's a lot of jokes going on just because it's more like who's going to take it by default rather than taking it for earning it. Just because it's been it's it's not quite as successful or as exciting as I don't know about exciting. It's just in a different way exciting as as some of these other division races have gone, and so. Um, I've had a lot of other reporters coming in from different teams, some from the ALEs coming in and saying, man, this division is rough. And it's just like, I, I, it's a little different. I get that, but, um, it's been, it's going to stay like this. I really, truly believe it's going to stay like this until the very last minute. It seems like this has just been a foot race for the last month or so. And so uh, I don't see it changing. I think all three of these teams are very, very similar and the way that they ebb and flow throughout the year. And I think that's going to set up for a ridiculously close finish. 
at the end of the season. And whether it's because they are all sort of playing iffy and it's just a matter of who can just get that last win or if it comes down to they all catch fire at the same time um, and they're all competing for the for the same thing. I think it's going to be close and it should be fun. Yeah. And I mean, as of right now, none of the non first place teams would make the playoffs because we have the Blue Jays in the first wild card spot, Mariners in the second, and the Rays in the third. And even though the Blue Jays are up there in that first spot, they have not played well lately. I know that uh, their fans and everyone, I mean, you can see that they've been stumbling. So I wonder, and we'll certainly mention Taylor's Orioles, who are such a fun watch these days. They're a game and a half out of that third wild card spot. So that's a half game ahead of where the uh, Twins and White Sox are right now. It sort of feels like those are the six teams we're looking at for these three spots with the Red Sox significantly further back. But even still, it, it just it doesn't feel like this will be two teams out of the AL Central. So given that, it's going to be even more of an interesting fight. And it's fascinating because I had pretty much said in my mind, okay, the White Sox are probably out of this. And then you look up and all of a sudden they really aren't. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I agree. I I think in my own head, I was like, okay, the White Sox seem to be struggling. It's probably going to come down to Guardians twins down the home stretch here. And then all of a sudden Chicago is just reviving itself. And so it's another situation where there's this three team race that maybe we weren't expecting this year. But again, I think it's going to be really fun. It'll be a lot of fun. Now let's switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the NL East because you and I, on Monday, proclaimed, hey, the Mets are really good. (laughs) And then (laughs) they had Carlos Carrasco, in addition to losing two straight games to the Braves, they didn't just lose the games. They also lost two starting pitchers, Carlos Carrasco, with a side injury, if I'm correct there. Mm -hmm. He's going to be out for a bit. Low-grade left oblique strain. They said a typical timeline is three to four weeks. So you're already looking toward basically in the middle of September. And then you're wondering about the postseason for him. Then Taiwan Walker left the game last night with back spasms. No talk of an aisle sent yet, but you just never know where that might be. Of course, the Mets have a lot of pitching. Jacob DeGrom is back. They have Max Scherzer. They have Chris Bassett. But, you know, I'm going to speak with Juan Dribio about Walker Bueller and where the Dodgers pitching is at. And it just feels like the Mets, after getting back the best pitcher on the planet, are still having these pitching questions. Yeah, and it's quite the interesting time of the year to have to go through all these questions, and I'm sure that's a frustrating part for them. Um, I mean, Carlos Carrasco has had a surprisingly strong season, and I know um, maybe it was a question of whether he could continue to do that as he continues to age, and I know whenever he left Cleveland, that was like a heartbreak for fans because – one, they just loved him as a character uh, and as a person and, and all of those things of things that he did off the field. But on the field, I mean, he was still an effective pitcher. But it, as you age, it seems like every time Cleveland gets rid of a starter, they don't 
and they aren't quite as effective. They've had this down to a, a science now where they are able to part ways with the pitcher and they're not quite the same, but Carrasco has been pre- really solid this year for them. And you start looking at the hurdles that they're going to have to overcome as it seemed like, as we declared on Monday, they were going to just run away with this. Um, so clearly we're now the jinx, but uh, it's like, it's going to make this AL, or AL, it's my usual, the NL East uh, pretty exciting down the stretch because I know as we talked on our podcast about how it seemed like the Braves were getting hot and I kept thinking, oh, it has to be closer, it has to be closer, and it just wasn't because the Mets were staying just as strong. The Braves are able to stay hot. I think it's not going to be just the AL Central that's coming down to it this year. I think it could be the NL East as well. And so, I mean, it's always great for baseball. It's not great for the Mets, but it's great for baseball whenever these things are really, really close. And so um, we could have a couple of divisions that are coming down to the wire, which should be really uh, interesting to watch pan out. Definitely. And one other piece of Mets news we should mention is that there were reports on Tuesday that they would be calling up uh, their number two prospect, Brett Beatty, a third baseman. He's the number 19 prospect in baseball for an MLB pipeline. He's the third baseman hitting 315, slugging 533 across double A AA and triple A so far this year. And, you know, anyone who has seen even a, a small iota of uh, Anthony Ducomo's mentions or anyone else who covers the Mets knows that pretty much every tweet these days was call up Beatty, call up Mark Fiantos, one of their other prospects, or call up Francisco Alvarez, their catcher. So it does seem like with an injury to Eduardo Escobar the other day that uh, they are going to be making one of those moves. So we'll see if he's able to make an impact on the offense moving forward. Yeah. And trust me, I can sit here and speak to it. I've seen a lot of debuts happen this year and I can see just because they're inexperienced, just because they're young, it does not mean that they can't make an enormous impact. I mean, Stephen Kwan, I've watched it firsthand all season. He's been the heartbeat of this lineup. You think it's going to be Jose Ramirez, but honestly, without Stephen Kwan, they wouldn't be here. And so um, it's a, it's a very overwhelming step for, for prospects to come up, especially at this time of the year in the middle of a really ridiculously close division race. Um, but it's fun whenever they are able to settle in and be everything that fan bases are expecting of them. It's a lot of pressure, especially whenever they're that high of a prospect and that highly regarded. But um, I think it brings a lot of fun to a team and uh, it can bring a lot of excitement just because they have that youthful, jovial approach to the game. And I think that can make it a lot of fun. So um, that could be a difference maker for them. I really do think it could. Well, Mandy knows debut, so we're going to hold her to that, but we'll see. There we Mandy, go. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. So great to chat with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I am now thrilled to be joined by Jess Mendoza, who covers baseball for ESPN. She is currently in Williamsport getting ready for the best baseball event on earth, the Little League World Series. Jess, how you doing? I'm doing great. And you nailed it. It it really is. Um, and we've added four teams this year. It's starting a day earlier. It's it's getting better and better. My own boys are actually going to be here, too, um, for the first time to really experience, you know, the real Williamsport, all pack stands, all the things. And of course, we have the Red Sox 
and Orioles coming to town, which is amazing um, when they get here on Sunday because it's a 2,500-person stadium that's here in Williamsport, and it's so intimate, and it's just basically 2,500 kids that get to watch their favorite major league players. It's pretty special. Oh, my gosh. I was there for the first Little League Classic back in 2017, and it was just such an amazing atmosphere, as you're saying, that feeling that it was this big league game, but just for the kids. I mean, that is what this game is all about. And the fact that we're able to put on a game like that just for them is so, so wonderful. So you mentioned, uh, you know, your your kids will get to experience the real Williamsport. For people who are listening who don't know what that means, what what is the best part of it and what are they going to get to experience? It's like, honestly, Disneyland for baseball fans. Like you have, you know, just even like the food, there's the two stadiums, which is Lomity and Volunteer, where you have international teams playing 10 international teams, 10 U.S. teams. And you have this like in between the two stadiums, like funnel cakes and all like these like booths and like fun, like stands and all just like cool cool things going on. And meanwhile, you're jumping back and forth. And it's like, I don't know, I'm a Disney person. So that's why I'm like, it's like California Avenger in Disneyland. It's like, I'm going to go watch, you know, Jap- Japan play Chinese Taipei, or, you know, I'm going to go watch, you know, Oregon play, you know, California, whatever it might be. And it's literally like the best thing you could possibly ask for. Plus they're 11 and 12 years old. So the emotion is there, the relatability, I think it brings us all back is right. We, we, we cover baseball because we've all had this connection somewhere in our childhood, you know, whether that's because we played when we were 11 or 12 years old, or we have this moment where we are in the stands with our parents or grandparents. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm in love. And now you get to see it through their eyes. It's, I mean, I could go on and on. Plus, by the way, we have our 21st girl that is here from Utah. Her name is Fallon and you have to tune in. They start their first game is Friday. Um, and not only is she here, but she's their best player. She's got four hits, which is the most for her team coming in um, from the regionals. She plays second base and catches. She's freaking awesome. Um, so keep an eye out for her. I love that. That is awesome. Because, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch a bunch of the regionals. So I was curious who to look out for. That is absolutely perfect. And I can't wait to tune in. I mean, I love watching Little League World Series. Excuse me. And uh, if anyone has not tuned in, please do over the course of these next uh, two weeks here. And watch during the day it's so great because you know sometimes we don't have mlb games during the day and you still want that baseball fix and the energy again i mean just has mentioned it and i am going to hammer this home the energy at these games even through the tv is so palpable and it's so much fun it's just this is what the sport is all about so uh, I'm so jealous that you're there. I miss Williamsport, and I'm so glad that you were there to uh, call it again. No, I'm pumped, too. I can't wait for it to get kicked off. <laughs> so I can, yes. honestly, with 20 teams, my head is spinning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So many notes, so much to keep track of. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit to another youngster, uh, but not nearly as young. So last night, 
Uh, late last night, we got news that the Braves signed Michael Harris II to an eight-year contract. So he debuted this year at the end of May. He has been great for them. He is probably going to win Rookie of the Year. I think it's between him and his teammate, Spencer Schreiner. He's at least going to finish top two at this point. A $72 million contract goes through the 2030 season. And now the Braves have, let me read off the list from uh, Jeff Patson last night. This is, as he said, how to keep a core together. Austin Riley through 2030, Matt Olson through 2030, Harris now through 2030, Ronald Acuna Jr., 2028, Vaughn Grissom, 2028, Ozzy Albies, 27, Spencer Strider, 27, William Contreras, 27, Kyle Wright, 26, and Max Reed through 2024. So this is what the Braves do. They sign these guys to these these pre-arbitration deals and really keep them in the fold for a long time. What was your reaction when you saw this? That Alex Anthopoulos continues to impress me. I mean, that's really what this is about to me is his like understanding relationship with these young guys. And I mean, to me, you, you read off the list, obviously, of controllable guys, but I think about Ronald Acuna Jr., and Ozzy Albies that stand out to me the most. I mean, now look at those contracts and it's a steal for what the Braves were able to get for both of them. It's insane. And with team option deals, you know, like they're going to be able to do with Michael Harrison and, you know, continue to have him for two more years if they want as their choice. I mean, you understand and everyone understands, especially the last five years in free agency, exactly the power that the player has. And you see these deals that are definitely cited the other way where basically the player has every option to not do, do whatever the heck they want. Um, And now to have this and my whole thing, I was just talking to someone this morning about it, how like if you lose on it, if Michael Harris gets a, you know, gosh, career ending injury, you would never hope like, you know, you're taking risks. Right. And if something like that were to happen, I mean, yes, it's, it's significant money, but I mean, we're seeing players almost sign, the whole entire deal for like a two year deal. So, I mean, that kind of money is getting spent left and right, especially from big time organizations like the Atlanta Braves. So I, I love this. It's just an example of Alex Anthopoulos. I think two things and how smart he is to be able to do this, have an understanding of what Michael Harris, the second brings to the organization for the future. We've seen briefly the talent, but also more importantly, the relationship. I mean, like to be able to convince him, like, and of course you're three months in, <laughs> like you're like, yeah, I'm signing anything to be able to make $5 million this year, next year. Like, heck yeah. That's like so much more than, you know, he would have made otherwise. So um, yeah, I think it's a huge credit to Alex, but also I think it's, you know, helpful for these players mentality um, to know that we're, I'm good. I don't have to be worried about if something happens or I don't perform. Now I can go out and just be me. And I think that comfort level is really important. And the Braves have really set it up such that their young players just don't have to worry about that. As you're saying, they're in such a spot where they can be them. 
someone like Austin Riley. It took him a year and a half to really figure it out at the major league level. And now look at him, you know, in MVP conversations, doing everything and not having to worry about how is this going to look in arbitration? What's going to happen in two or three years? So it's a real credit to them, to Alex Anthopoulos, as you said. And I will say on the other side, you know, Jeff, as he tweeted out this list of here's who's under team control through these years. He did quote tweet himself from January 2020 and said, of course, best of plans, the White Sox. So we have seen that, you know, the White Sox had, I'm not going to read off the whole list again, but Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, all of these guys under team control. And yet we've seen that this team did not get far enough in the playoffs and, uh, you know, they have not been able to live up to that in quite the way that everyone expects when you are able to get all of those players under your control. Yeah, but most of those players were not signed, you know, to be able to continue to play. They're, that's just team control because they're young. And, you know, and that's where I think the difference lies, at least for the Braves right now is, I mean, we're talking three of those players <laughs> for the Braves are going into the 2030s. <laughs> like, it's definitely longer. It's, it's, you know, locking them up with contracts as opposed to just having young talent that will then be free agents because in the White Sox case, even they're still going to arbitration with the, most of those guys and they will hit free agency when they're supposed to. The Atlanta Braves, they're going to bypass all of that and be able to go into those free agent years um, and then have team control, which is insane um, for these young, talented players. For sure. And a handful of them have already won a World Series with this team. So it's almost like part of that pressure is off also that they know how to win. They know how to play in October. No one's going to say, oh, they're too young. Because even though Michael Harris II and Vaughn Grissom and Spencer Strider haven't been in the postseason contributing in that way, uh, you know, these other guys have Austin Riley and Ozzy Albies and so on and so forth. So we know what this team can do. So it's not the pressure of, okay, you're all together now. Go win a World Series right now. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that's that. And you, you can also be yourself. Like that's an understanding that Anthopolis has of these young players is that they are definitely, they must be the type of player that he sees that, look, you're going to go out and work hard. Because I think my biggest fear if I'm a GM is I sign you this big, huge contract. And now all of a sudden you're like, sweet. Like, all right, you know, maybe I don't show up and lift weights every day. Maybe my off season looks a lot different. Like, you're getting young players that could go the other way. We're seeing that with the San Diego Padres and some of their young players when they sign for big deals and some of the decisions that are made. Now, does the, do those happen whether you have a big deal or not? I don't know. But the point is, is he sees something in these players. And I'm hoping an understanding of, I'm going to sign you to this big deal, knowing that you're going to continue to have the work ethic, continue to make good decisions. And if anything, play even better because now you don't have the same pressure. You just are going to be you and go out and have like, which as you know, with baseball players, that insecurity can now be less and you can have the confidence to know that this organization backs you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Jess, thank you so much for joining me. Enjoy Williamsport. Enjoy the games. 
Thanks, Sarah. It was awesome talking to you. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. I'm joined now by my colleague and friend, Juan Toribio, who covers the Dodgers for MLB.com. And Juan, I wanted to talk to you today because there's been some news around the Dodgers lately. We found out on Monday, Walker Bueller will not return this season. What updates do you have on that surgery and what his timeline might be? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So they announced it as an elbow surgery. Um, so naturally we started pressing, you know, what type of surgery is it? Um, and they, they just kind of wouldn't say, right. They, they said they don't really know. Um, he kind of got hurt playing catch, which is never good, right? Like if you can't even do that, that's not a good sign. He got an MRI. They, they saw some damage. I'm sure they saw something in there. Um, they're not going to cut him up for fun. So it's like, there's definitely something in there. Um, they just wouldn't say what until after the surgery. So we're still kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Um, we're obviously on the road, so we can't talk to any front office members. Um, Walker's obviously not here. So I guess we just got to wait and see till August 23rd when his surgery is. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely not good news for the Dodgers. I mean, I think he's somebody that they, they probably needed in the postseason, whether it was as a starter, which I think it's a little bit more unlikely because he was still probably a month away. Um, but if he can give you two innings, I mean, the two innings of Walker Beater is better than two innings of most people. So especially in October, which he seems to kind of enjoy. Um, so that was definitely a big loss for them. Um, so as far as the timeline, I guess we, we just have to wait and see what the elbow surgery is. Uh, it was kind of a bizarre day where I was just kind of like, but wait, like, why are you guys doing this? Uh, and, and, you know, what kind of is it? How long is he going to be out? Um, but I would be shocked if whatever it is, whether it be minor or major or whatever, that, that it doesn't bleed into next season, um, at least at the start of spring training. You know, it's interesting, the uh, unknown elbow surgery until they get in there. I believe that happened with uh, Ken Maeda last year with the Twins, where they said straight up, we don't know what it's going to be until right. we see how bad it is in there. So I think 
for baseball, for the Dodgers, for everyone. Have to hope that somehow this is one of those cleanup surgeries as opposed to something like Tommy John. Tommy John, excuse me. But you alluded to this, how helpful he would have been to the team in October, even in a relief role. And I 100% agree. I mean, he really made a name for himself in that 2018 postseason. So we know how nails he can be in October. How do you think this affects their chances? I mean, they're going to win this division, but at October in the postseason and going deep because it's interesting. They're dealing with these injuries at the same time that the other, the second best team in the National League, the New York Mets, is dealing with pitching injuries over the last two days as well. Yeah, and just kind of really quickly about the surgery. He actually had a cleanup after he got hurt. So he had a flexor strain. And then he got a cleanup for, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he definitely had a cleanup uh, in there. Kind of, he was like, you know, I've been dealing with this for a couple of years. Um, so it is kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, they're, they're pretty hopeful that it's nothing, something crazy. I mean, he's been, I, I think if it was Tommy John, you know, I've gotten going to the worst case scenario, I think they would have probably announced that by now. I mean, I think that's something that they could have probably seen. Um, but anyway, kind of, I guess moving on from that. But that's just kind of that's kind of, kind of where they stand right now, at least for the next week. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, 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 he's a he's a huge loss. I mean, they've done this with Bottom, right? They're eighty and thirty five, mostly without Walker Buehler. And even when they had Walker Buehler, he wasn't very good. Um, you know, he kind of struggled a, a lot at the beginning of the season, uh, which was kind of weird to see because he was the guy that was pretty built up at the beginning of spring. Uh, but in the postseason, he just he just has a different level. I mean, even last year, he was the guy they, they turned to. I mean, game four of the NLDS against the Giants, they needed a win. They go, hey, Walker, go out there on short rest. In game six, after Max Scherzer kind of got hurt, they said, well, hey, Walker, go out there on short rest again. Um, this year, I don't know who the, that guy would be. Um, if they're in one of those situations, you know, win or go home. Uh, Julio Rios is kind of stepping up as that ace. But I don't know if they would love to just be like, hey, Julio, go out there. Every, you know, he's never done that before. I think that's something that that was Walker's kind of thing last year. Is he's never pitched on short rest in a playoff series before. He did it, obviously, he did well. Um, but that's easier said than done. It's not like anyone could just kind of go ahead and, and do those things. So not having him, um, that's definitely a big loss. But like I said, he probably wouldn't have been fully built up. But this bullpen's kind of shaky at times, which is kind of weird to say for someone for a team that I think leads the team, the league in bullpen ERA, um, and they're eighty and thirty-five. But I think when it comes down to the postseason, they're trying to limit runs, um, and he was going to be a big part of that. So speaking of shaky, of course, you know you're alluding part two, Craig Kimbrell. The team lost on the walk off uh, from against Kimbrell last night in Milwaukee. What is the level of concern with the fact that Kimbrell has not exactly been Craig Kimbrell of old this year? Yeah, well, if you ask Dave Roberts, there's no level of concern. If you ask people on Twitter, there's a lot of concern. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, been, it's been interesting. I mean, he hasn't had a clean inning since July 13th. Um, and that's not ideal for any reliever, much less someone who's kind of, kind of their job is to go out there in the ninth inning and shut things down. Uh, so in a postseason situation, they, they don't really have a guy right now where they can just kind of be like, okay, give me four, five, six outs. 
Evan Phillips has kind of become their main guy, and he's been unbelievable. Um, he had, he's a lot of one run since May, so he's like one of the best relievers in baseball. But he's you know he's obviously never done that before in a postseason scenario. So um, they need Craig Kimbrough. I mean, I, they traded AJ Pollock away for him because uh, he was going to be a, the, the guy that kind of pieced things together, replaced Kenley Jansen in the back. Um, but it's been it's been shaky for him, and he was pretty honest yesterday. He said, "I I, got, I have to figure this out. I have to figure this out." And he, you know, he said that he will. Um, but the, the time time's starting to run out a little bit. There's a month and a half left in the season. Um, but if they want to make some noise in the postseason, he he might need to be one of those guys that kind of steps up. I mean, we saw last year with the Braves, they had three or four relievers kind of pitch out of their minds. Um, and if you ask me right now, I mean, obviously this could change. I don't know who the three or four guys for the Dodgers would be. Um, and if, if they're going to piece that together, I think he's going to have to be one of those three, four guys. It's incredible. This team has, as you said, 80 wins, a borderline historic run differential. And yet there are these big questions, but to bring it to a bit more of a positive side, they do have another pitcher who is returning. I believe this weekend in Dustin May, what is the uh, expectation for what he'll be able to do for the team? I saw he had an immaculate ending in one of his rehab starts. It sounds like he'll be the normal Dustin May. Yeah, he said he's pretty healthy. He says the stuff feels pretty good. Um, we got a chance to talk to him yesterday. Um, but yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be a big piece to this. Uh, he might, you know, Dave Roberts says he's not he's not gonna be the savior. Um, but in, in some ways, you know, he's not necessarily a savior, but he's going to be someone that they're going to need uh, big time, which just which might, might be a little bit unfair for someone coming off Tommy John. Um, but that's just kind of where they're at. I mean, you know, Clayton Kershaw's out right now. Uh, Julio Rios is, is kind of like been the mainstay. Tony Gons has been really good, but he's over his innings limit. But, you know, by, by a million now, it's, it's career high. Um, Tyler Anderson, you know, he's kind of having this breakout season. Andrew Heaney's kind of been in and out of the, the, the the rotation. So uh, they're going to need, they're going to need Dustin May to give him four or five, six innings here in the next couple of, couple of weeks. Uh, and they also kind of want to know what they have, right? Like if, if, can he be a guy who can kind of take down a Walker beater spot and, and pitch game four of, of a big series or, or whatever it may be, you know, these next six weeks, it's kind of interesting. These next six weeks, uh, kind of like the regular season doesn't really matter much anymore. Uh, they're 16 games over the Padres and they're going to win the division. They're going to probably get the one seed. Um, but everything they're doing for the next six weeks is kind of evaluating for what they have in October. Um, Cause that's essentially what's going to define their season, right? Like if they, they, they they're probably going to break the franchise record and wins. Um, I guess it's, they have to go 37 and 10 to have, you know, beat the Mariners record from, I, I looked at that and I was like, why does this not look impossible for this team? Um, but yeah. I guess that, that speaks to how good they are. Um, but everything's going to be defined by what they do in October. So everything's kind of leading up to what's what's going to happen, who can help us, who can't. Um, I, I think Dustin May is going to be a pretty, pretty big addition for them. Yeah, I mean, he's so much fun to watch, you know, just as a fan of the game. I'm so excited to see whether he's throwing 100 or – whether he dials back to 98 to not get hurt again, whatever it may be, just seeing him out there with that hair and everything, it's so much fun. So it'd be really, really cool to see him contribute for them in October. And it's interesting. I mean, I love how you said, you know, 
the regular season doesn't really matter for them at this point. But the reason you play so hard and get to this point is to have that luxury to figure it out over the final six weeks. So we'll see what all happens with them. But, you know, just for how good this team is, I hope they're able to figure it out so we don't have to add them to that 01 Mariners list. You know, you alluded to them, but you never want to be that team that dominates in the regular season and can't figure it out in October. Right. I mean, and, and they're definitely really good, right? Like, uh, it, it yeah. feels like these, these last 10 minutes I've been talking about what they don't <laughs> kind of do, right? Um, yeah. But that's just kind of where they're at, right? Like, they're just trying to determine what's kind of going on. I mean, but if they're... If, they're, they're going to be the favorites. They're probably the best team in baseball, even with all these things that I'm saying. Um, it's just, we've seen this kind of movie before with the Dodgers where they just kind of steamrolled through the regular season um, and then things get a little bit tight. I mean, in 2019, um, you know, that team was really good and they lost after five games. They were, you know, you know so it's kind of like, that's kind of where the, these fans are. It's like, everything needs to be perfect. <laughs> you know, which is a little bit unfair, but that's just kind of what they set themselves up to do. You know, it's like 10 years that one World Series title. Um, so, but like, yeah, if you're listening to this, they're still really good. Uh, I'm not trying to say otherwise. Don't come on me on Twitter. Yes, absolutely. Juan <laughs> is positive. I am positive. Juan, thank you so much for joining me. This was awesome. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Sarah. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Sarah. Bleacher tweets for a fine Wednesday. Debbie Gammons Brown wrote in just for you. She says, my favorite hit is the basis clearing double. What's your favorite hit play to see in a game, Sarah? Well, I do like the bases clearing double. That is a very fun one. I mean, I don't know if this is too easy, but I love a walk-off homer wall trailing. So kind of like the... uh. Brandon Crawford, one we were discussing earlier when we went through highlights, I love the idea of you have no idea what's going to happen, and then it totally flips. But, you know, if Tim Kirkshin, the Hall of Famer, were here, we know he'd talk about sacrifice flies, and that's why he is so <laughs> wonderful. Uh, Sarah, honestly, I can't wait for our spinoff podcast where we discuss uh, baseball wags, um, Brandon Crawford. <laughs> Uh, his wife putting up a great video of her kids watching Brandon yes. Crawford hit that uh, walk-off homer. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sarah <laughs> Abbott will be involved as well. We've got a lot to say. I'm yes. sure Sarah and I will start kicking around ideas in the office today. Um, oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> let's go to Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. He writes in, should Oakland try and cash in by trading Murphy now while his value is high rather than hoping to re-sign him when, we become, when he becomes a free agent at 30? How quickly do you see Oakland returning to contention i think this is a great question you know i thought that at the trade deadline when we saw wilson Contreras really being the only catcher name being bandied about and of course he didn't even end up being traded i thought that maybe the a's might go out there and test the water with murphy he's a really great catcher and his power i believe he had a big homer last night 450 plus so he can do it all. I could certainly see them getting a pretty good haul back for him. But I would say if this is coming from an A's fan, 
and someone who wants to root for the player, I wouldn't give up on having him on your team just quite yet. You know, hopefully he can stick around for a few years for the A's, but he's a really good one. I do think they could get a decent amount back for him. Jerry at Blues Cards Tiger writes in, I know he doesn't have a cool trumpet walk-up song and doesn't pitch in New York, but Ryan Helsley has been every bit as good as Diaz, if not better. How about a little love for the Cards closer? I love the sass in the way this question is asked. I mean, we're just going to acknowledge it. He doesn't have a cool walk-up song. He doesn't play in New York. I get it. I get it. Ryan Helsley is so much fun to watch. This guy throws so hard. Whenever he pitches, he is always at the top of the uh, daily fastest pitches on baseball savant, which I always look at every morning. I'm staring at his savant page. He is 98th percentile or better in expected ERA, expected batting average, expected slug, strikeout rate, whiff rate, fastball velocity, fastball spin. So, there's our love for Ryan Helsley. He is a lot of fun to watch. And it's always fun at the beginning of a season when a guy sort of comes out of nowhere throwing 100 and you're like, oh, I got to watch out for him now too. And I think that's what happened with him early in the year. Sarah, we get a lot of questions like this with people asking, how about some love for X player? And I think when we get those questions, we need you to answer them exclusively because Buster will be like, okay, there's your acknowledgement. We read the tweet. Let's move on, peasants. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always happy to give some stats to show why a guy is great. Always. <laughs> I think he could fix the uh, the walkout song, too. I think that would be an easy yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Just like the Baltimore Orioles did for Felix Batista, they gave him the Omar yeah. whistle from the wire. Very cool walk out and uh, that parlays nicely into Scott Appleman's question. He writes in Taylor, why so quick to dismiss the O's chances of a second place finish? They're a game and a half back of the Rays with a month and a half to go. I'm interested in your perspective on the Orioles, Sarah. I mean, I think, you know, the starting pitching is just not going to hold up. I mean, we saw Dean Kramer, the, the game of his life, literally last night against the Blue Jays to win that. Um, you know, Austin Voth and Jordan Lyles have been Good, but they're probably back of the rotation starters on a good team, not frontline guys. And the offense can go stagnant pretty easily. You know, it's been playing well. A lot of guys overachieving. But, you know, if we're looking at, you know, their averages, probably not great for such a tight wild card chase here. So what do you think about the O's other than I know you love to watch them? I do love to watch them. I think that your logic is pretty sound there. I mean, I think there are definitely holes. Everybody wants to see this team make the playoffs and really prove the doubters wrong. I don't know about second place. I mean, you know, we should never be too quick to dismiss a team, and you should never be too quick to dismiss your team. <laughs> but I do think that everything you said is true there. And, you know, with the Rays, I mean, I think third place, very realistic, because even though, you know, the standings are as they are right now, I don't have a lot of faith in what the uh, Blue Jays are doing lately. So I could see them falling out of it a little bit. And maybe the Orioles taking that spot. I love that. Orioles, I think they've got 10 more against the Blue Jays. All right, last one for today. David Fitzgerald at Dave Fat Kid writes in, I know it'll never happen, but the, with the playoff expansion and balanced schedules, wouldn't 154 make more sense than 162? 
So my question here is, I mean, what is the math? I guess the idea is just that that divides a little better for all 30 facing each other. I am not the person to address when you say, hey, let's play less baseball. I will always <laughs> say more. So I will always want the 162. I think the balanced schedule is going to be really fun. Um, I'm really excited for every team to get to see, or I should say every fan base to get to see Shohei Otani every year and every other year for them to get to see him in person. So I think it's going to be really great. The math might make more sense to 154, but we always want more baseball. Fewer games in the AL East. That's what I'm looking forward to, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks for filling in today for Pitch Hitting for Buster. Thanks for writing in everyone with your Bleacher Tweets, hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We will be back on Friday with Jeff Passan in the hosting chair. Thank you guys, both Sarah and Taylor, so much for bearing with me. And that's all for today. My thanks to Mandy, Juan, Jess, and Sarah and Taylor again. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks for listening. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.